Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bain, step back three. Bingo! It's the core four on the Bluff City Media Podcast Network. Super excited about this, guys. Obviously, we took last week off to get prepared for this big move over to Bluff City Media. Go check them out. They have incredible socials. All those clips you see Xavier do, they have 10 times more now on the Bluff City page. Uh, And subscribe as well for exclusive insider content to Bluff City Media. And I believe for the rest of this week, you're going to get a free trial to look at some of that exclusive insider content. I am Matthew Gill, joined as always by Xavier and Dave. Today, guys, we're going to look at the Grizzlies offense without John Morant, give out some awards at the trophy case. We're going to give our top four NBA title contenders ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. And then Jeff Calkins of 92.9 ESPN in Memphis joins me as well for a little one-on-one at the end of this show. But guys, We have to start here, and Xavier, I'll start with you. Saturday morning, you wake up, and you see the picture or you see the video of John Morant from his Instagram Live. What was your instant reaction? Of course, I mean, it's just like, wow, astonished, shocked. It's a lot of emotions going on through me because this is our leader, and we want to make a big playoff run. Um, You know, being a person that's from Memphis, that's constantly rated, the city is constantly rated with gun violence and and a lot of activities. And you see so much negativity and you have the team like the Memphis Grizzlies to to escape that and watch big time primetime basketball that gives us enjoyment. And to see John Moran as our leader, you um, doing that, it, it really is like, like I said, like it really, I had a lot of reactions, emotions, and I know he's it's it's a bad mistake by him. It's a real bad mistake. Um he's still very young. I really feel like he can turn it around and I'm praying that he will. Yeah, he's a young kid. Uh he's allowed to make mistakes, but definitely that was a bad one and putting it on Instagram live made it probably a little bit even worse. Dave, you've talked a lot about the immaturity of this team. And a lot of it we've talked about has mostly been basketball related, right? Like not knowing how to finish games and like play against uh, other elite level teams. This is an encore thing now. Is this just like another thing to you in that list of immature moments? Or is this something that's a little bit worse? Well, I did have those concerns coming into the season because our expectations for this team were pretty high. And the immaturity on the court was a little bit to be expected because you don't get those battle scars until you're in the Western Conference Finals, until you're in the NBA Finals, and you learn from some of those mistakes that that young kids make on the court. And the continuity would only be there the longer they play together. So I wasn't concerned long-term for that, but the -the off-the-court stuff, I, I was nervous when you give all these young kids all this money And then the pressure really mounts. It's such a fun journey to the top when you're starting out. We've talked about that in the show before. But coming into the season, the expectations were very high. And we really wanted to see this team take the next step. Now, I mean, this could be just a blip. And we could talk three weeks from now about how, remember when that happened with John Moran? You know, he's back. Everything looks great. But I have to tell you guys, my first reaction Saturday was I was just sad. I feel like the team's been kind of coming apart little by little over the last couple weeks. And I just felt sad. It could be a blip, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels like there's something a little more relevant here, a little more serious. And and I want to say one thing about the maturity piece too, you know, whatever John was doing the, in the, in the video and, and all of that, 
just the fact, you know, we, here we lost a game to Denver. He's out at the club at five in the morning. It was kind of a tough loss, you know, to a good team. And Brandon Clark, to see him carried off the court, was a very sobering moment Friday night. And I didn't think the tone of the video, even if the gun isn't in the video, was the right image for our leader in a situation where I feel like this is a make or break point in the season. Yeah, I agree. And I think when you look at other superstars in this league, like Ja is, you think about guys like LeBron James, Steph Curry, Giannis, even guys who are absolutely beloved around this league. I don't know that they would have been out at a club period. As you said, the gun is one thing, but the fact that he, you know, is out celebrating partying this hard after a game like that is a little bit concerning in the immature aspect of it. The gun takes it to a different level for sure. And as Xavier said, like this is a city who he is kind of the leader for the rest of the nation to see. And it's a city that already has these bad connotations with violence and gun violence in particular. So super tough to see. Um, I talked about it more with Jeff Calkins, so I I don't really want to beat a dead horse here. Just two things I want to add for sure. The fact now that it has been moved to it's a it's you know however long it takes it's not just two games. I think I find it really interesting that we heard it was two games to start with, and now it's you know an indeterminate amount of time. It's however long he needs, which is the right move by the way. But I keep thinking about well, why did we hear about two games then? And you think back to the Lakers situation with Shannon Sharp the last time they made this road trip. That says to me that maybe they said to Jai, you're absolutely not coming to L.A. with us. We can't trust you uh, after what you pulled in Denver, and we're not having you get fired up. You know, the, the Lakers fans would have absolutely let him have it tomorrow night on Tuesday. And so I think that it was the right move, but it, it also is concerning to me, and it says that the team and organization don't really trust him as well, and they are trying to save him from himself. Uh, as I said, I don't want to beat a dead horse too much. You'll, you guys can listen to me talk about it later on with Calkins, but is there anything else you guys want to add to it, Xavier? Any other thoughts you had on the Josh situation? Uh, I mean, it it's like, like we've been saying, it, it is very sad. And I'm just really wishing, and I, I feel like, the continuity of the team, I feel like it's still there. Uh, Tyler Jenkins is a great coach. I feel like he's he's done a great job with the media responses and making sure it's and, and understanding that we still have a job to do here in for the Grizzlies. Whether what happened with John Morant is it is what it is, but he just really wants to rally his troops and let these guys be known. Like it's not just John Morant that 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 is for this team you guys can play basketball and I want to give so much praise to Taylor Jenkins, especially last night. I know we took an L, but they fought very, very hard after something, this dramatic news. I'm very surprised that they came out with that energy, but um, at at the end of the day, like I said, I feel like it's a big eye opener for John Morant. And I really do hope that he takes the time and get the, the considerable help. And I, I feel like he will be able to bounce back from this and, I mean, be the leader that the Grizzlies need in the city of Memphis. And hopefully he can still be, remain a face of the NBA. Yeah, so, so Xavier, to tag on to that, the, the thing is, it, it's easy to say, well, you, you know, a kid, he's so young, he's all this money. And, and we've all made mistakes. It's not that. The problem in professional sports is the NFL quarterback and the NBA superstar are the two real unique 
positions where you are clearly the face of an organization. Patrick Mahomes is clearly the face of the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And the NBA superstar was very hard to find, and they become the face of a billion-dollar organization. And with that comes great responsibility. He's not the sixth man on this team, right? He's not the backup point guard for the Charlotte Hornets. You know, and if he wants to be the face of Memphis and be paid like it, we as fans have a right to ask that he presents himself and represents himself in a way that makes us all proud. It's a very unique position that he's in because there are very, very few true superstars in the NBA. He's got the shoe deal. He's got this Powerade, uh, you know, deal uh, sponsorship, I guess, that he's, he's working on. And he's being paid to a level where we need him to be responsible and, and mature. And I, and I want to say one thing about the maturity because, because uh, Matt, you asked me earlier, how about Dylan Brooks picking up that silly technical foul with Joker and then getting suspended for a game on Sunday, which we could have used him. And, you know, there again, the lack of self-awareness uh, from this team, I think, has shown up at the end of games. It's shown up in silly technical fouls. And now we've seen it bleed over into off-the-court issues. And it's just really interesting. We always say, well, isn't it great? We're the third youngest team in the league. Well, no, it's not always great. And these are the growing pains we're seeing. Yeah, one more thing. I just want to ask Dave real quick, and then we're going to move on to (laughs) some happier topics uh, for sure. But, Dave, you are in a unique position. You're obviously the only one on the show who has, like, kids that you have to think about and look out for. The part I'm going to have a really hard – I'm not going to hold anything against this. I don't think he's an evil guy now, but the part I'm going to have a hard time reconciling is now when we see the pictures of him playing with his daughter and shoot around and giving the shoes to the kid who came to the one – you know, his first Memphis Grizzlies game, when we see those pictures, like it's hard for me to reconcile that those are the same two guys, that Jock can be that giving and that thoughtful and that, you know – take the time out to, to spend time with these kids and stuff like that. And also be this guy who's flashing guns on Instagram live as a dad. Like do you, is, is that, am I way off here? Like it's hard for me to, to think that he should, or that he deserves to continue to be a role model to kids at this point now. You know, it's a very fair question. And, and, and let's be measured in our response, right? Because to be honest, everyone's a shade of gray. You know, I mean, I, we get all talk. I and mean, my father was the nicest guy in the world when he was out at, you know, out in the neighborhood and he was really, really tough to deal with at home. I mean, every, every, a lot of people are shades of gray's young kiddies figuring it out. And I never with my two kids, even my stepkids, I, I've never discussed athletes in a way that they should be, you know, look to them for a higher you know, calling or a higher uh, motivation or authority. He's, I tell you this reading, guys, this is just a basketball team. <laughs> it's not a family, you know, and all this stuff. John Moran's just a basketball player in my life. If, if, if my kids enjoy watching them play basketball, which they do, that's great. But I don't really want them looking to anybody in, in professional sports as a role model. They can admire aspects like their work ethic or boy I wish I could shoot the ball like that guy but they don't know these people at all and their influences should be more I think here at home and in the way they see that we treat people and and try to do good things it's not it's not super realistic of me right because everyone's on their cell phones people are are always looking at celebrities and athletes and musicians for for a motivation and then we do consider them to be uh you know pretty important in our lives but 
it's ironically, my son Dylan has a John Rant poster on his door. We're going to leave it there and, and still cheer him on and hope for the best for the kid. But it, it does lead, Matt, to some discussions of what does this mean, especially when you're a young kid and you see maybe a star or a hero screw up. What does it mean? And you have to have those talks. Yep. And I think you're right. Everybody's a shade of gray. He's a dude just like we are. He makes a lot of money and he's really good at basketball, but he's a person all the same. And I think the other thing that has been mentioned but needs to be reiterated is, like, everybody who's talking about this, like, just wants the best for Ja. Uh, and everybody's rooting for him to be the best person and, and the best athlete that he can. So we'll keep that in mind as well. So let's transition now. Xavier, you were just talking about how well Taylor Jenkins has handled this whole situation, how good and motivated and energetic the team looked against L.A., what can we expect over whatever amount of time Jaw's gone? What have we seen in the past when Jaw's been out? Why, what does this offense look like differently without John Morant um, being the point man on it? So, yeah, we watched last night against the Clippers. They scored 51 points in that third quarter. Somehow they lost. Uh, that's a whole different story. But in terms of offensively, man, they was actually moving the ball and getting guys involved. When you have John Moran, it's a, just a lot of him dribbling, and he gravitates so much defenders due to the fact of his amazing athletic ability and him being that superstar. But when he's not out there, Taylor Jenkins does a great job of having an offense and, and a constant flow because, most, being real, besides John Moran, sometimes, yeah, Jaron Jackson, there's nobody else that's able to create their own shot. So – you have to have guys, you have to create opportunities for these guys to, to make easy and open shots. And that's what they did last night, especially, especially Tyus Jones coming off the pick and roll, attacking the pick and roll. And then one thing I really want Taylor Jenkins to emphasize now is we really are seeing the true potential of Jerry Jackson offensive side. And it's borderline scary. He's borderline unstoppable right now. And I, you really think about it. Jaron Jackson has only had one all season to work on his game truly. And it's because of injuries. He always has to recover. And he, he is un basically unstoppable on a low block. He, and it's, it's funny because a lot of people feel like that the post work and post game is dead. Jaron Jackson, like he, he, he real deal. I, I guess his pops taught him a thing or two down there on the block, but I, I really want him to see – I really want Taylor Jenkins to implement Jaron Jackson on that low block. And it's – I find this pretty ironic. For my big three, um, they've all had their own combination. At the beginning of the year, it was John Bain. Then Bain went out. It was John and Jaron. Now it's <laughs> Bain and Jaron. So I think they're going to work on a one-two game. Um, you really can come up with some creative stuff because – Jaron can stretch the floor. You have to respect Bain as a, as a deadly shooter. But as well, Bain can penetrate and attack. So it's a lot to, to really to be optimistic about because a lot of people are feeling that we're not going to be the same without John Moran. We get Steven Adams soon. That's going to help our offense even more. But it really I have to focus on is constantly moving the rock because this is what you don't have that superstar to bail you out to make those amazing shots or create a shot for you. Well, one thing I was going to ask you, uh, Xavier, when I knew we were going to do the seg uh, segment here, Jaron, at times, I agree with you, looks unstoppable, but I do think he really needs to work on some nuance to his game. And like, if I were working with him, I'd say, you watch Kevin McHale videos 
all summer long. And 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 Charles Barkley said, you know, Kevin McHale was unstoppable in the low post because you never knew where he was going to go, what he was going to do. And I feel like I feel like Jaron and some of the other Grizzly players get a little predictable at times. And when teams really lock in on them, we don't have that flow. And I think that's why we struggle a little bit at the end of games. Uh, so it sounds like you see, you see a lot of uh, growth still that Jaron could do, and then, and then he'd really be tough. Yeah, I, I, I'm, we was watching the game last night, of course. Jaron loves being on that right side of the block, face up, and then dribble with his left hand and, and do a left hand, either left-hand hook shot or a left-hand layup. Eventually, especially in the playoffs, good teams are going to lock in on that, and he he is going to have to switch up his arsenal. But like I said, though, it's just really he really has not had the time to truly work on his game outside of constantly being injured each offseason. And if he has another offseason, I really feel like the sky is the limit for this man. He really – I will go ahead and put some bets in for most improved player because I think offensively we still have not cracked his true potential. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's a good point that you make, Dave, the nuance. Like, he has to uh, come up with some other ways to finish because I remember last night they showed a clip and, like, eight of his buckets in a row were those left-hand layups like Xavier's talking about. And Mason Plumley is not, you know, Dikembe Mutombo by any means. <laughs> like, let's not, let's not act like he was scoring on, you know, the best defensive player in the league or anything like that. It was a really good showing by him especially um, in the first three quarters. But the other thing that that kind of um, gives me pause is in the fourth quarter, he was kind of a no-show. And I think a little bit of that has to do with Taylor Jenkins, but also we've always said that the aggression out of Jaron is, is his own doing. and something that obviously is going to take a lot of coaching to get out of him to be as aggressive as possible. But uh, another thing that you mentioned uh, on Twitter last night, Xavier, was the rebounding aspect, too. He just has to be a more committed rebounder, right? Yeah, there's no reason for you to be practically seven foot and you can't get six rebounds. It, it just, like you was talking about, the aggression. How bad do you really want it? How bad do you really want to win? How bad do you really want to be committed? You're a great defender, but you don't rebound. It's not, I don't consider you a, it, it, to be a true great defender. You have to rebound. And it's, it's a shame because we real deal got killed on the glass. We were lucky to be in that game, that 52 point quarter. We desperately needed that because we couldn't rebound to save our life. Jaron Jackson, I, I really feel like he has to put some muscle on this offseason. For one, that would help his offensive game. And two, that would help as well for him to. Whenever he has to pay, play that five slot, he will be able to box out those bigger guys. Because don't get me wrong, Zubak is a, a, a muscle meathead, and you got other guys <laughs> in the league that are brutes as well. And so, yeah, it is going to be a struggle. But a lot of the times, it's real big with the Grizzlies, besides Stephen Adams. They're blessed with athleticism. Rebounding isn't about athleticism. Zach Randolph was not the most athletic guy, but he was going to give you 10 rebounds every single night. It's about positioning. And effort, right? I, I yeah. was thinking exactly it's about effort because you played a lot of basketball and, you know, and, and Jaron's great at the flashy blocks, which, right? Defensive rebounding is all about effort. Yeah, effort, effort and positioning. And it's not that hard. You just have to put your body on some, on, on your man. And if they go over the back, the ref is going to call the call. So it's no reason for you to want to make those flashy blocks, if you want to be a true defensive player of the year and be respected as a true, strong defender, you have to rebound, Jaron. 
Yeah, he's got to improve uh, for sure, especially when there are guys out like Steven Adams has been. And another big goes down as well now. Brandon Clark going to be done for the year. I want to touch on that just for a second as well. Xavier, what are they losing Brandon Clark coming off the bench? Man, I, it really kills me to see BC out for the remainder of the season. I'm wishing nothing but a speedy recovery for BC. But BC, at times, like he's instant offense. Especially, he's a great zone breaker with the two-three zone. He flashes yeah. up into the middle. He's going to make that that his pivotal floater that he truly loves. That's a great big score, a, a quick ten points, and as well, I feel like he's an underrated inside defender because he helps with those weak side blocks, and as well, um, he's able to move his feet uh, against certain matchups. And he, like I said, he's a quick. 10 points some some nights, and we're, we're most definitely going to miss him. Um, we're, we're lacking on size right now due to the fact that Adams is out. But I really feel like it's, it's going to test Tyler Jenkins now of his coaching because you still have some pretty uh, – you have some great players down your bench. We saw David Roddy how much energy he came out with yeah. the first quarter. He's going to have to really utilize his lineups and his coaching ability to see, okay, who's going to fit here? What matchup is this best here? Because you're then now, and BC is somebody that you trust. He was somebody who plays some great playoff minutes. Somebody else is going to have to step up, whether that be Roddy, in which he did last night for a little minute, maybe the reemergence of Zaire, maybe hopefully he can get his confidence back. Or we finally can see Kenny Lofton Jr. That's what everybody, everybody wants. But uh, it's up to Taylor Jenkins, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know about Zaire. He's been really struggling, bro. He, he has um, not had the leap that we all expected. Uh, but he's still a young kid. He's got a long way to go. Dave, we've talked about how stagnant the offense can be at times without job. But last night, I thought it's a single game, but man, I thought the, the ball was humming around. Dudes were moving off the ball a lot. Desmond Bain had some great give and go moves. Um, did you think that was the best offensive performance? I know it's a loss, but I mean, especially that third quarter, I thought that was some of the best offensive basketball we've seen from the Grizzlies all year. I think it's the, 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 the blessing and the curse of having a superstar. And, and sometimes you get caught watching John Moran on the court, just like we get caught watching him at home. And he's so magnetic with the ball. Uh, and there's this belief sometimes, well, he'll bail us out. You know, and you think about like the way NBA basketball is played, you get down to the end of the shot clock a lot of times, and it is that shot creation. And he's so good at it. I just think that, I think when he's not in the game, we saw this last year when we're on the run without him, right? Well, they 20 and five or so when, when Ja didn't play that everyone else then realizes, well, we're going to have to really, really do our part uh, and maybe a little bit extra. So I think that it's, it was a nice game last. I was really proud of the team and, and Xavier touched on that earlier about the effort. I was really proud of the team. Unfortunately, yeah, the, the NBA is still a star league and the, and the Clippers have a couple really high level players ended up pulling away at the end to win the game. But it, it was nice to see the ball moving. It, it, it's a, it's not sustainable to me, Matt, long term. I think that, you know, you, you can't take John Moran out of our lineup and, and think that we're going to get uh, to where we want to go. But there is something that maybe he can learn when he comes back in the lineup to keep that ball moving, to keep the flow, because it does create shots for guys that can't break guys down off the dribble one-on-one. -on -one. 
Yeah, but I think it's a great credit to Taylor Jenkins. It showed me that he at least has that in his bag, right? Like he can mm-hmm. scheme up some great off-the-ball actions. Uh, he's always been a great ATO guy. Um, so we know that he can do it now. We'll see if Ja ever um, or, you know, if the, if, if the whole collective comes together and say this is the way we need to play basketball now moving forward. But we will uh, see how that ends up. For right now, let's leave that right there, guys, and let's give out some awards at the trophy case. All right, guys, trophy case time. Let's give out a couple of awards. Uh, I got a couple here. I got one for the Grizzlies, one for another team in the NBA. But, Dave, uh, let's start with you. You got any awards? We took a week off last week, so there's plenty to choose from. You always got some great awards. What do you got this week? I have two awards this week, guys. And, um, you know, like sometimes uh, you're hungry and you've been to McDonald's before, so it's so good you want to go again. I'm going to give an award out again that I gave out before because I really like it. And I think it's very relevant. Uh, so I have one award I've given out before and one new one. The one I, I am repeating is I'm giving out the corner office award again to the entire Memphis Grizzly organization. Because, again, you wanted all the smoke, whatever expression we want to use. That the glare coming into this season was very high on this team. And they said, we want it. We're ready for it. Well, now you're in the corner office and the company is really struggling and everyone's looking towards the manager to make the right call, to make the right decisions and help the company get where they need to go. People love being in management. It's more money and they think it's more prestige, but it's a tough job. So the Grizzlies are in the corner office. They get my corner office trophy. And I hope that this is just a blip on their season and we can finish strong. My new award for the week. You know, as much as you call me like salty, man, I, I was a little salty this weekend. And so I came up with the, this this trophy for Dylan Brooks. It's the don't call us, we'll call you trophy. You know, <laughs> I, I've had enough of Dylan the villain, all this stuff. You know, he, he plays with such brashness and all this stuff. Listen, I'm going to tell you something about my father. He yelled all the time. My dad was a yeller, unfortunately. It's because he had nothing to say. People <laughs> don't have to yell if they have smart things to say. And I think Dylan has hurt this team, his lack of self-awareness, 16 technical fouls this year. And now they can hurt us in the playoffs because if he gets one in the playoffs, what is it in the playoffs? Seven, it's it, 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 does it start over any, if you get like, a, how many, do you know the technical foul rules in the playoffs? The technical foul, with the tech fouls, like it's a fresh start in the playoffs. But you is it have, seven? I think, yes, it's seven. Okay, so that he probably won't get there, but he, if he gets another one here, you know, the regular season, he could miss another game or two. And I just think, you know, I was looking back, he's never made a first or second all defensive NBA team. This this discussion that he's just this unbelievably elite defender and Memphis can't live without him, I think is is just not true. I, I, I question his maturity on the court and it's six years now with the team. I don't see the leadership. I know all the stories come out, people behind the scenes, how important he is. Well, so I'm sorry, Dylan. Don't call us. We'll call you about that uh, new contract. That's my trophy case for the week. I hope to be more positive next week, guys. <laughs> That's very good. But I'm always down for Salty Dave to come on the show and <laughs> the guest appearance. So That's good with me. Xavier, what are the awards you got this week, buddy? I only have one for this week. All right. And and it goes for the Grizzly standpoint, and it's I am a starting point guard. That is Ty Jones, man. Ty is starting this season has been absolutely phenomenal, and he always said that he viewed himself as a starting point guard playing with the Memphis Grizzlies, whether if it is him starting or coming off the bench. Now, playing off the bench it has been a different story, but starting 
He is averaging 19 and a half points, eight assists, and three rebounds. And he is a torch for when he starts, man. Like, he scored 20 points last night in the, in the third quarter. It was like Ties would not miss. The floater started hitting. He was making threes. I'm like, whoa. It just, it just, I'm like, we're so blessed to have him because, it like, going back to last season when John Morant was injured, Ty's always handled it very well. And here he comes again, especially with the news and everything being more dramatic. He handles it well. Like, I'm, 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 I'm really feel safe in Ty's hands that we can at least stay uh, – we can tread water as long as Ty's is our starting point guard while John Morant is gone. So I'm like, that's my war for the week. I'm your starting point guard, Tyus Jones. I love it. He did look so good. That that third three that he hit before it even left his hands, um, I was like, that's going in. He was just on such a heater, especially in that third quarter. He's been so good all year. I think for next week, our homework should be how many teams actually would he be an upgrade at their starting point guard position? Because, like, it's a lot, honestly, I think. He's an incredible player, and I think he one day will be a starter in this league and be really good. But for right now, yeah, he's running the ship incredibly well for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, great awards from both you guys. I got two real quick. Um, I'm going to start with the Big 12 football, all offense, no defense award, and that goes to the Dallas Mavericks. They couldn't stop the three of us from getting 120 <laughs> on them, bro. They played no defense. They gave up Dorian Finney-Smith in the deal to get Kyrie Irving, and they really miss him. He was a great defensive player um, and was their point of attack, you know, lead perimeter defensive guy, and they really miss him. Uh, if you guys remember the listeners of the show, I did have Dallas in my uh, title contender rankings the last two weeks. That was probably a miss. They they just don't play enough defense. But, man, when they get hot, they, they can put up as many points as anybody. But all offense, no defense, Big 12 football award goes to the Dallas Mavericks. And this is a Grizzlies one for you. This is my John Travolta Pulp Fiction Career Resurgence Award. If you guys remember, man, like John Travolta was kind of in this weird spot before Pulp Fiction. And that totally put him into like the second half of his career where he was a superstar. Quentin Tarantino just saw that dude and was like, he'd be great in this movie. And it totally changed the entire trajectory of his career. And the last couple of weeks, that's been Xavier Tillman, man. I thought he was DOA. Coming into that Steven Adams injury, I was like, why are we starting this dude? Like, Santi has proven that he can play in a starting lineup. Brandon Clark and Jaron are two of the – some of the best lineups we have are when those are the two bigs, and Xavier Tillman's the guy that's starting. But, man, he played great against Jokic. Um, he played great in the Philly game. He's been on a really good tear, and I'm happy to see it. And now with Brandon Clark being out, like, he's going to be a player in, in the playoffs. And especially – one thing that I think – can be a positive from this situation is like Steven Adams was unplayable in the playoffs last year. And now they at least have some faith that Xavier Tillman can bail him out. If Steven Adams can't be on the floor. And I think that he um, has taken a lot of flack, especially early in the season. I thought he should be cut waived, whatever, especially going on the trade deadline. He's been great. So John Travolta, Pulp Fiction career resurgence award goes to Xavier Tillman. 
Let's uh, go on. Hey, guys, man, real quick, real quick there. You know, of course, you say you guys remember John Travolta. I mean, I'm like, I'm a little bit older than you guys. I remember, before, you know, the career before it fell apart and came back with, with Pulp Fiction. So, yeah, 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 you know, that's a great that's a great award. But but, you know, this was in, in fairness, quite a reminder this past week of the business of the NBA. Right. The issue with Ja off the court that cost him a couple games here, maybe longer. But how about you know Brandon Clark getting hurt? But thank goodness he signed that extension. And has some financial security. Uh, you know, it's an awful injury, but I, I did take heart at least that he has some financial security. And then you're looking at it from the perspective of Xavier Tillman, you mentioned here in the awards. Like, wow, it could be a real chance for him to kind of resurrect his career a little bit. And, and, and you never know, maybe 10 years down the road, we turn around and say, this was a really important time for his growth. Maybe he didn't spend his whole career in Memphis. But maybe this showcased him enough that he had some security himself and got to play in the league a long time. So just, you know, a, a lot going on right now with the team. But I like that award. Yeah, that was, yeah. go ahead. I, I was going to say, like, with, with Tillman, it was just always – you never knew what he was going to get, uh, what you was going to get from Xavier Tillman. But I want to say he was always that guy to be willing to do whatever – and whatever Taylor Jenkins asked him, he was going to do it. He'd go down there to the G League with the hustle and get some time there to get reps and be ready. And it's all paying off. Like, a lot of people always feel like the G League is a demotion. But it really do help a lot of these players' confidence. And I'll say one thing about Xavier Tillman. When he's playing center, he's more aggressive offensively looking for his shot compared to oh, Stephen yeah. Adams. Steven Adams, when you pass him down there to the low post, he's always just trying to find somebody else to dump the ball to or, you know, try to set somebody else up. I mean, Xavier Tillman, if you pass him the ball and he he sees that, like, he has that wide open line, he'll do that floater. Or he'll put his chest down and, and make a bang and do a layup. I'm really impressed by Xavier Tillman. I owe him an apology. I really do. Xavier Tillman, I'm happy that you're still here with, with us for the Memphis Grizzlies. And you you really done a lot for us because a lot of people forget he made that game clinching. Was it over? I, I think it was a game, game clinching three in 2020, 2021 to send us to the playoffs mm -hmm. against Utah. So he's actually done sort of a lot for us. Yeah, uh, I don't think I've said one nice thing about him on this show since we've been doing it. So I felt like I owed him one. Uh, because he has played really well. And Dave, I knew you would appreciate it as, as a movie head. So uh, that yep. one goes out to you as well. All right, let's move on now and let's do our top four title contenders ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. All right, guys, top four title contenders in the NBA. A lot has changed in the standings. Um, my list has obviously changed. I'm excited to hear what your guys' list is as well. We have said that the top three teams have separated themselves. That four spot is still up for a ton of debate. Xavier, give me your list. Yeah, it's, it, it does, it's, I, it's relatively the same, but it is, it's been some switching around. All right, number one, I got Milwaukee. Yeah. Milwaukee, before the other – yeah, they on a 14-game winning streak. What, wait, did they lose? Yeah, they lost. They lost to Philly, but they got up to sixteen games. Like that's that's yeah. not that's not yeah, the yeah, that. yeah, yeah, exactly. They had a really, really strong stretch of great basketball, and you look at the team, man. Chris Middleton isn't even playing like himself. Yep. And they're playing some extraordinary ball between Brooke Lopez. I want to talk about the resurface of Brooke Lopez. You think of the centers of the twenty tens. Brooke Lopez was one of the top ten centers. 
And you look at all of those centers that were top 10 and how they transitioned once the game became a, such a three-heavy ball game, they failed to, to make that transition. But Brooke Lopez shoots 37% behind the three-point line, what is one of the best peri- I mean, interior defenders in the league. He has really resurfaced his game to play modern basketball. And I don't think a lot of people understand how much value he brings for the Milwaukee Bucks to their success. I have him at my number one slot. Number two, I have the Boston Celtics. Boston still is a great team, but their struggles as of late is sort of becoming a little questionable. But I really feel like, man, it's a long 82 games. And the Knicks, the Knicks are just nicking now, man. I, 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 have to be, I have to be honest, bro. The Knicks are something else right now. All right, number three, I still have the – I got the Denver Nuggets. I mean, the Nuggets, it just – you got Yoke still playing some great ball. Jamal Murray started playing at his playoff pace. MPJ just – every shot he takes – anytime he gets the ball, he's going he's gonna to chuck it up. He got all the Hall of Fame shooting badges. And then number four, I got Phoenix, man. Oh, boy. KD and Devin Booker. That is like a scary, scary – like that's like some game breaking stuff. Like that's two K, the thirty point duel that they had last night against um against the Mavs. It's just so much offense there with Phoenix, and you even without KD and and D book, you got Aiden that's that's capable of making the post shots. Uh, Chris Paul every once in a while might find find his found a youth, but at least he's still gonna be nickel and diamond. Phoenix is still they they like that's a scary team to play coming towards the playoffs. Yeah, that's a great list because it is exactly the list that I have, uh, Dave. So I will turn it over to you in just a second to break the tie. But I just want to add, I, I don't want to be, beat it to death, but the the thing that I keep going back to with this list is, can I see this team win a title? And when I was putting my list together today, I really wanted to put the Knicks at number four because I've loved watching them all season long. But like, I can't imagine a world where at the end of the NBA finals, one of either Jalen Brunson or Julius Randle is holding the NBA finals MVP trophy. You know what I mean? Like that, that's just not a world we're living in. Yeah. With, with Thibodeau given, with Thibodeau given the uh, post game press conference, the, like the, the strangest voice you've ever heard. We, yeah, we, we, we don't, we don't live in that reality as much as I wanted to troll everybody and put New York as my fourth team. I couldn't do it. The thing with Milwaukee and Boston, and I, and this is, this may be, we'll have to go back and look. Uh, I don't have my, my, the stats in front of me right now, but this may be the first time Boston hasn't been number one. Um, depending on what Dave does. But, I mean, we both have him at number one, Xavier. And my thing is that I keep going back to is we've seen Giannis do it before. We've seen him be the best player on a title team and win it and win that MVP. Um, And I can see him doing it again. As you said, they went on an incredible tear of 16 games. It took the best game that James Harden has had in probably four years to beat them um, the other night. And I just believe in them more so than anybody else. The other teams I considered – at number four is that Philly team still can't get there with Doc Rivers and James Harden. And then Golden State is a team that I think is still very dangerous, but you look at their road record, it stinks. They're having a hard time getting their guys on the court. I can't put them in there right now. So Phoenix, as of right now, is the team I'm going to put in that four spot, as you said, Xavier. Um, And the thing that only worries me a little bit about them is their depth when we get to playoff time. They have very little room for error. They can't lose any more dudes. 
Like if KD goes down with another injury or Devin Booker, they're going to be in some real trouble when they try to go to guys on the bench for sure. But as of right now, that is my list as well, Xavier. So we are at a tie, a deadlock, top four, Milwaukee, Boston, Denver, and Phoenix. Dave is a unanimous. I have the same four teams, but I do have them in a different order. All right, let's hear it. Yeah, so I think Milwaukee is the best team in basketball. And I, I want to touch exactly go. what you both said, their experience – They've won a championship, and I think that they're going to go to the NBA Finals from the Eastern Conference. If they're going to win it, I don't know. It depends who they match up against. But I love that the Giannis and Lopez combination there, the versatility on defense, the way Giannis is playing. And they're playing at, a, a, what, a seven, a 71% winning percentage. So they're just a really nice basketball team that's won before. And that experience and that maturity, there's that word again on the court, to me, is very evident Milwaukee. And, uh, guys, I, I disagree with you a little bit. I got Phoenix number two. And, and, and I know that it's only three games or three and a – I mean, it's the, the Booker-Durant combination looks like they've been playing together for 20 years. Some of these other teams are trying to figure things out now, integrating Russell Westbrook, integrating Kyrie Irving, and and, and some of these other uh, trade deadline, uh, you know, assets. But if, if Durant and Booker are healthy, I think the only thing that's really wild – can you imagine if they played Golden State in the first round? That four-five matchup could you, you could argue that'd be the greatest first-round four-five matchup of all time uh, with, with those two teams. But I, I think Phoenix is is going to continue to get better. I really really like them, and I think they're going to go to the Western Conference Finals at least. I have Boston third. Uh, I, I'm a little nervous about their coaching sometimes. I'm a little nervous about them, but I do love the Boston Garden. Uh, what do they call it now? TD Bank North or whatever it's called. They have great crowds there. They went to the finals last year. They got that experience. And I think they're a better team and better than everyone else in the East other than Milwaukee. And I have Denver fourth. Uh, I, I, I think they're a good team, not a great team. Uh, and I do like who they added at the deadline. I, I like I like uh, Thomas Bryant. I think it was a nice – you talked about him, Xavier, I believe, on, on a recent show as a deadline acquisition. I like him. And and uh, I think they're they're a solid – I think to me, those are the four teams. I think they've separated. I did consider Golden State. I still can't – Forget about Golden State when they're healthy and they got all their players, all their experience. And I had the Knicks written down here too, but I think it's because my brother's a Knicks fan. Um, the, the, you know, one last thought about these college playoffs, guys. It's can a team win four rounds in a row? That's mm-hmm. really a difficult thing, right? Because the Knicks are a nice team. If you told me they, they upset the Celtics in the first round or what, whoever their first round opponent would be, that they could beat Cleveland, they could beat Philly, they could be. But can they win four rounds in a row? And I think that's where this gets really tough. And that's why we're trying to say, what are the teams that are going to actually put it together for six to seven to eight weeks, right, in May and June? Yeah, and just the way they play is, I feel like it's a really hard thing to sustain. If this was a list of the teams you least want to play, though, like they're at the top of that list for sure. Like they are a tough team to play. Well, how about like Miami? If you're the if you're the mm-hmm. Celtics, you don't want to play the Heat in the first round. Yeah, you know matchups are going to be really important this year because we 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 have a lot of teams that ha- have a puncher's chance. Yeah, absolutely, teams that can knock off anybody in any given round. And I can't wait for the day when the Denver Nuggets win the title and Dave's still like, nah, they're not that good. Yeah. <laughs> here's our final <laughs> rankings for the year. I got, I got. Let's see here. <laughs> yeah. I got Golden you're- State one. I got. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Jokic is going to be drinking champagne in Serbia, and you're going to be like, yeah. no, I still have him sixth. I don't know. I, I don't I still buy it. find this Aaron Gordon guy, and I don't know. I don't. No, that's all right. Okay. So um, now with that, with the massive shape shakeup by Dave, it's going to be Milwaukee, 
which I'm going to have to double check, and I'll, I'll have it for next week. That might be the first time they're number one for us. So with Milwaukee, Boston still hanging on at two, and Phoenix jumps Denver at the three spot. So extremely interesting. And that may be the first time in a while we've had two teams in the East and two teams in the West as well. Again, I don't have the standings in front of me, but a, a major shakeup on multiple fronts with the NBA title contenders ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. Now, here is Jeff Calkins. You can read him at the Daily Memphian. You can listen to him every day on 92.9. He is Jeff Calkins. Jeff, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. You know, I hit you up on Wednesday and asked you to come on, and I looked at the schedule and I was like, "Well, let's let's shoot for for Monday. If nothing else, right. we'll be able we'll be able to talk about the Clippers and the Nuggets game, and then everything else happens over the weekend." Um, let's just start with Ja right off the top. I listened to you today. You obviously covered a lot of it, but what was your instant reaction on Saturday when you see the video? Uh, or just the screenshot or whatever it is, and then, you know, kind of everybody's reaction on Twitter. What was your instant reaction when you saw the picture of John? Well, disbelief, really. Um, I mean, first, you're, you're trying to verify whether it's real, and we as over at the Daily Memphian are trying to decide whether to, whether it's possible to verify it, um, that sort of thing. But the notion that Jaw would think, the notion that in the wake of the reports, uh, that we had last week alleging uh, that he had a gun um, at various spots. You know, and, and at this point, most people I think are familiar with the incidents and that part of the defense from his lawyers has always been can't corroborate that there was a gun. The notion that he would on his own Instagram live is so freaking crazy that you just, have a hard time getting your mind around it and depressing honestly it was just depressing um because it then in a full-scale you know crisis that is impossible for anyone to deny anymore so and then the day unfolded the way it did it became very clear that this was real and and uh and you know Joe released a statement and and everything else sort of has unfolded since then but i mean your initial initial sense i think is of disbelief and sadness really um that, that, that yeah i yeah i think um those are all the feelings that a lot of fans felt and i think people that called in your show today um showed that to be the case right. I, I i think that you pointed out something that's that was really important today when you were on was that we kind of have forgotten about that tweet that he sent out last year which i believe was to a timberwolves fan you know it's it's free to find out how hollows feel and maybe that should have been our first indication that this was something that needed to be looked into. And I think about, you know, you talked a lot about the the therapeutic language and, and he's, he's getting help and stuff like that. I just I, I it seems to me that the, the the gun problem is it may be linked. It sounds like he at least thinks that it's linked to some kind of stress. But I, I think that what we're dealing with is something that's so much you know more serious. There, I mean, there's real violence and, and harm that can be done and you know not just to to yeah. other people but to himself with the with the whole gun thing it, it's yeah, very I mean, strange thing, and i think the gun thing particularly you know as a as the mo most high profile memphian really since elvis um given the that we are awash in gun violence it's particularly um tragic and honestly reckless um 
I mean, Joff, for good or ill, has an impact on millions. That That's why Nike pays him to wear the shoes. It's not because he looks good in the shoes. I mean, it's because they literally think you, Ja, can influence people. And so the idea that he's embraced um, guns as part of the ways, you know, as of his image, seemed seemingly a core part of his image, um, is sad honestly now we live in a country where guns are you know they guns are allowed you can go to you know you, you can go to a, a nra convention and people talk proudly about having a gun everywhere they go and polit some politicians will talk about polit poli you know having guns everywhere they go so there's nothing <laughs> and and it's an interesting cross-section between the people who would condemn jaw and the people who you know wouldn't go anywhere without a gun in their glove compartment. Right. So, um, so, but, but I think it's very possible that those problems can be related to like, I think there's a constellation of bad choices being made here and right. some involve guns and some uh, involve, I suspect alcohol and some involve or, or whatnot. And, you know, um, you know, this sort of hard, all this whatever that is all about um so i don't think the fact that a gun was involved i don't think that that means that alcohol for example if that's the issue we don't know what it is he talked about healthier ways of dealing right. with stress that's what this the, the the language was so we don't know if it's alcohol or partying or uh strip clubs or gun whatever the unhealthy ways about but it can be it, it can be more than one of those things yeah, and it sounds like it's a whole mixture of all of them. Your column was, um, you know, talked about the apology. And you talk about Nike and the sponsorship you just mentioned. I, the the thing I'm having a hard time reconciling right now, and I think I will in the future, and you mentioned, you know, you're not going to hold anything against John in the future. And, I, and we all are rooting for the best interest of him. The thing I'm having a hard time reconciling is – the fact that he did mention the partnerships in the apology, I understand that that may be what his partners want from him. But from an optics standpoint, it, it gives me the indication that he's not doing it for the right reasons, if that makes sense. It seems to me the as though the Powerade deal drops this week, Nike has, um, with, you know, the Kyrie situation this season yeah. has, has, you know, will say that they – you know, they're not going to stand by and they, they will cut people's partnerships. So that part of it seems very hard to reconcile with me. Would you agree with that at all? Or do you think that that was just the way well, business is done no. now? I, there are lots of people who change their lives because of, quote unquote, for the wrong reasons. Maybe they're court ordered to go to AA, you know, yeah. maybe they didn't walk in the door because uh, or, or, you know, or for what there, there's a lots of reasons why people can consequences are there and it may not be hey i just woke up this morning and decided i wanted to be a better human um and so if those reasons include nike um or if they include powerade I, I, to me it's about it's about the sincerity that then follows that okay nike wants you to be better the grizzlies want you to be better your family wants you to be better whoever it is um are you just saying you're going to be better for the benefit of Nike or the Grizzlies or the NBA? Or 
has Nike persuaded you, uh, you have to be better. If Nike is the uh, the folks who persuaded me, you have to be better. I don't care. Like if it makes them actually, if it if if the changes that result are just like I don't care if that court ordered person who was driving drunk goes to AA. If they actually find sobriety in AA, I don't care that it was the court that they only went there because they were court ordered to go there. Um, and so, to me, it it really hinges on what follows, right? If he is, we don't know. I don't imagine he wrote that apology. Um, and so someone else wrote the apology, but does he really embrace the apology? Does he, is he, is he, and this is to me the hardest part, and it wouldn't just be hard for jaw. It is hard to say it's my fault, particularly, it's hard for anyone to say that in any walk of life about anything, right. to sort of have the humility to say it's my fault. And then what we've seen from jaw is a pattern of saying it's everybody else's fault. It's the Indiana Pacers fault. Uh, media's fault or it's the rest of the league that hates us fault or it's whatever else. And so to me, the key is, was there in this moment a recognition by Ja, this is my fault and I screwed up. And if there is, I don't, it doesn't bother me that it was Nike that pointed it out. I think he's right to, to apologize to his partners um, among everybody else. Um, so no, that didn't really bother me. I, I, but I, I also, to me, the fundamental question is sincerity going forward. Right. And so I think this will be the the last thing we'll, we'll touch on it. We'll move off this in just a second. But now yeah. moving forward, once he comes back, if we see the sincerity in it, if he truly does find some kind of peace and get better, the times when the PR team is going to push, here he is at warmups with his daughter and here he is giving the shoes to this kid who came to see him. I'm going to have a hard time reconciling that as well, that that can be the same guy that he is a guy that wants. I don't know that he wants to be violent, but at least has that has something in him um, that that is dangerous. And then also the fact that he is this role model to so many kids. Is that something that, that that's fair to say that that's it's hard to see well, I mean, that that could be the same person. Everyone can process. I think it's legitimate that you can feel the way that you feel about it. And well, yeah, right. To me, it's the same thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. is, he, is he using his daughter as a prop or is it right. sincere? I don't for the for a moment have a problem imagining that people are complicated and can a love their daughter sincerely love their daughter, sincerely want to create happiness in kids who we give shoes to, sincerely want to give, like, I think that, give a, a big tip to a wait, to a, a server. I think that can be part of Ja and can also be part of Ja who gets hammered as a strip club and have a gun. Like, yeah. I don't think people are all one way. I'm not all one way. Like, there are lots of things that I could show on video about me that would, that would, um, that would cast me in a favorable light. And then there are other things in my life that would not. And so I, 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 I totally understand your misgivings. And I think if, if we see them like tomorrow as an antidote, Hey, everything's fine. Here he is with his daughter. I can understand why it might be a little bit, you might question the sincerity of it, but the idea that someone could both be the jaw we saw on the video and the jaw who loves his daughter I have no problems accepting that that those that person can be both of those things. Um, I think most people are complicated and have like have good good instincts and bad instincts. And what we hope is with all of us is to focus, you know, is to 
work at curbing our bad instincts. Yeah, people are complicated. <laughs> and I think John, Maybe I've struggled more than you, though. It's possible. It's possible I've struggled more than you. So that, no, that could no. be why I have a greater appreciation. No, it's it's uh-huh. a fair it's a fair reminder that nobody is perfect and right. we should not hold Ja to a higher standard. Uh let's move off of it. Let's actually talk about some stuff. Yeah. Well, I I mean this goes on onto the court, but also is another off of court thing. But I think they're really gonna miss Brandon Clark. Do you think that that's a massive loss for them um as a Western conference contender? I don't think it's a massive loss. I think it's a loss. I think it's sad for Brandon Clark. Um, I think it's a devastating injury. I think it's a particularly devastating injury for the type of player that Brandon Clark is when so much of his effectiveness is springiness and athleticism and explosiveness. And, and, and then to have your Achilles go, it's really rough. It, I think it, it's a bad, bad thing going forward for the franchise because they've got four more years invested in him at $12 million or whatever it is. And who knows whether he'll ever be the player that he was hopefully, but it'll be a while getting back there. Um, having said that, if there was a position where they could have lost a rotation player, it's bigs, yeah. you know? So, um, you know, it, it, people were wondering what's going to happen with Tillman when Steven Adams come back or what's going to happen to Aldama in the play, you know, in his minutes in the playoffs, it so happens that you have Jaron and Steven Adams and, uh, and Tillman and Aldama and, and, you know, I, I think it is, no, I don't think it's devastating, but I, it, it's obviously, it also creates a much, there's much now less room for error. You have to play these guys and these guys can't now get hurt. You know, it, it removes some of the, yeah. but uh, I don't think it's, you know, I, to me, it doesn't change the arc of what is possible this year or going forward for them. It doesn't lower their ceiling, um, uh, the loss of Brandon Clark. Yeah, I, I don't think that if you lose the in the Western Conference Finals that not having Brandon Clark is a viable excuse for you. But speaking sure. of the other bigs now, what was more surprising to you, how valuable Steven Adams actually turned out to be to this team, and we saw that in his absence, or how good Xavier Tillman has been replacing him? I think it was certainly a reminder. I think that the, the, how, how important Steven Adams was. And then I think, I, I think there was a – understated appreciation of it, but, but particularly on the offensive end as well, that people that, you know, I, I don't know that there was a full appreciation of how much he unlocks so much of what they do offensively. And so I, I think that has been, eh, Tillman has been solid, you know, he, he is what he is. And I think right. he's been operating at the highest, at the highest level of what he is. I also suspect he was going to go back to the bench when Steven Adams came, uh, but for what is, what has happened now. So um, yeah, I thought it was, a, you know, Steven Adams, and it's nice that Steven Adams is, is now, you know, they, they, they extended him for another couple of years. And so we can look forward to that. And then the other thing about it is, is both those guys are, you know, Steven Adams is certainly a, uh, almost a cult figure now with his strength and his hair and his whatever else. But Tillman is really, bided his time uncomplainingly. Um, and so I'm happy for his success as well. Yeah, I am as well. I, I you know, I'm happy that he is flourished in the, these couple of weeks, but it's only a couple of weeks. We'll see what happens. Um, it is, as you said, yeah. a great reminder of what Steven Adams brings to this team. And it also gave them an opportunity to kind of get comfortable 
in case Steven Adams is unplayable in the playoffs uh, this year. As we saw last year, there were a lot of times when he couldn't be on the floor. So I, I think that it gave him some much-needed reps, uh, seeing some other guys in there as well. Let's move to Taylor Jenkins now. I've seen a lot, especially since these last two games. People seem to be a little frustrated with how long he went without putting job back in the Denver game and then some of the late game execution in the Clipper game. Do you think, let's say they they lose in the second round of the Western Conference, do you think that Taylor Jenkins' job is in jeopardy for next year as the coach? I, I can't imagine, no. Um, I don't think his job's in jeopardy if they lose in the first round. Um, I, I think they like Taylor Jenkins, and I think they're fundamentally happy. Now, again, who knows? They're pretty. They're a pretty buttoned-up organization. It's not an organization that you really get a great sense of what's going on behind the scenes. But from everything I've seen, they like Taylor Jenkins. Um, you know, he's the one who some like some people ask me why we didn't hear from Grizzlies management. Well, because they speak through Taylor Jenkins most of the time. You know. Um, they like his corporate buttoned up way that he talks. They like, um, you know, his focus on culture. And I don't think the decision, the, the, the rotation decisions, at least fundamentally when it comes to playing 10 men and like light minutes, I don't even think that's just a Taylor Jenkins thing. I think it's an organizational approach. So I think he is doing fundamentally what they want him to do. Uh, and and it it dovetails with you know with his approach with Budenholzer's approach once upon a time too, so I don't have any indication there's any unhappiness with Taylor Jenkins. Now, you know they haven't been a good fourth quarter team. Um, obviously, really all year long they haven't been a good fourth quarter team. Um, and and beyond, but 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 I think you can make an argument that if you were going to nitpick the coaching or the front office this year. You can make an argument that the front offices, is, to the extent that they have weaknesses of franchise, and they do, that the front offices struggled as much or more than Taylor Jenkins. Like that, that the idea that you would go, that you would lose the players you lost, um, or 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 let walk, or trade it away, and replace them with keys and uh, Zaire Williams, who was not ready to make the leap. Um, like who looks worse? This, I I I think fundamentally it's been a good year and this disastrous weekend, notwithstanding. Um, and so I don't think they're they're prepared to make any massive changes. But to the extent that you're going to nitpick, pick, don't you think management is as much to quote unquote blame for their flaws as the coach? A hundred percent. I said going into this season, I was like, let's get rid of these draft picks. This team does not need to keep investing in youth. I understand that that's kind of um, been their MO the last couple of seasons, but now that the championship window has opened up so much more, I, I thought that they should have been more focused on bringing in veterans and championship caliber players with, you know, deep playoff experience. And, and the, the more time spent on developing guys like David Roddy, who's looked good, but you know, is not I don't trust in the playoffs yet by any means and Jake LaRavia and, and these other guys like I just think that they could have used those assets better um by bringing in some older guys in the offseason so I would agree with you I think that's a great point but they did make a good move I think in adding Luke Kennard who had his best game against the Clippers his former team was he a guy that was even on your radar at trade deadline at all I I felt that that was not somebody that anybody in Memphis was really wanting or even I, thinking I had, about 
I had heard him mentioned. I had heard him mentioned. Um, and I don't know if Chris Harrington was the one who mentioned him. Um, obviously, they they took some bigger swings. And uh, Zach Kleiman was much more blunt in the wake of the trade deadline about the efforts that they had made to do more. That That's not yeah. something that I've ever heard them talk about. They never say, hey, we tried. They just always talk about, you know, we're doing what we can every day to make better for the, for the to win a multiple championships in the future uh, or that now and in the future. And for him to say, listen, you know, we were very aggressive. And then stories came out about, you know, offering that they'd offered multiple first round picks for OG on an OB. And, you know, that's obviously coming, that came from the Grizzlies. So I think they tried to do more. And then I think Kennard was getting Kennard was a way to, I think, you know, get obviously improve their outside shooting, but then also because he, his contract goes beyond this year, um, it was a way to preserve the flexibility going forward that made sense. So I think it was a sensible move, but not a, uh, I don't think it necessarily, you know, changes their prospects. I don't think it was a move that changed their prospects particularly um it preserved flexibility helped them with a little outside shooting um and so i think it was a sensible move but they obviously tried to do more they said so and, and as you said from a buttoned up organization where you don't hear a lot of like what their motivations are and stuff like that that was surprising to hear that but it makes me wonder do you believe that if a shakeup doesn't come with the coaching staff could they take another big move or a, a, attempt another big move this summer i think they'll I mean, I think they'll try to do what they didn't get done this trade deadline. And I think one of the reasons that they were as open as they were about what they tried to do was, you know, they heard the criticism. I'd heard people on my radio show say, I can't believe they're just clutching onto these draft picks and they won't give up a draft pick for, and they're like, yo, we, we'd be happy to give up draft picks if people yeah. will take them for the players we want. That, that's basically right. what they were saying. We agree. We, but but it is an interesting question because if you look at their draft picks, let's say you were dealing OG Ananobi, would you be enthralled with the package of picks that the Grizzlies have? The best pick that they really have to offer is Golden State's pick next year? Oh, whatever. Like, where, where's that likely going to be? That's going to be likely a pick in the 20s. And so you're yeah. giving up OG Ananobi and you're – and yes, you can get multiple picks presumably from the Grizzlies. But I, one of the things that I think – this trade deadline demonstrated was maybe they don't have that much great stuff to offer, you know? And so you want them to take a big swing or I want them, maybe want them to take a big swing, but unless you're including Jaron Desmond Bain or John Moran in that big swing, I, I don't know that they can connect. And yeah. are you wanting to include Jaron Jackson Jr. in the big swing? I don't, you know? So. I think the real problem they ran into is they had to deal with Brooklyn twice. And Brooklyn likely said to them, Bain's got to come back. If we're giving up Durant to start with, then Bain's got to be in there. Well, then they well, end I think up with the Durant thing is the Durant was a non starter because he didn't want to come to Memphis. So they, they, they couldn't get Durant. Um, well, and that may be true. But so I think then, go ahead. Then, then, and then, yes. And then do you want to give up uh, Desmond Bain? Like, I don't, I don't think they were going to give up Desmond Bain either, but I think Durant would have killed that deal. And you can't just. As we've seen, even though he's under contract going forward, I mean, if if his the fact that he's under contract going forward, the Nets could have kept him, but they can't. In the, in this right. in the real world of the NBA, the player has control, 
And so if Kevin Durant wanted to come to Memphis, he can't, he's not coming to Memphis. And so then, you know, what I, I just don't know what their assets, unless you're willing to include Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. or John Morant in a deal. I don't know that their assets can bring you another quote unquote star, but then yeah. again, I don't know that you need another star. You need another good functional player, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. And, and, and you might be right, Durant, that may have been a, a non-starter, but I, I think that they also tried to make a swing at Mikael Bridges once he came back uh, to Brooklyn. And I think again, they Brooklyn said, said I, they, Brooklyn, he's the best player that Brooklyn got out of that yeah. deal. So why yeah. do they, why are they immediately, there was, I saw, you know, well, they got a lot of wings. We'll take the best one. Well, who's to say Brooklyn's wants to trade their best one? They're not yeah. idiots, you know, like, and so, yeah. Um, maybe They're also you can get a wing from, maybe you can get a bring from Brooklyn, but not that wing. Yeah, you know? and, and they also, like, they're not really motivated to lose right now. Like, they're kind of in the, the right. middling part of exactly the East, right. and, and, and they don't have their own picks. So, like, what what motivation do they have to get any worse? Right. Um right now i agree with you all right let's uh let's wrap up here i don't want to take up too much more of your time but i I would assume that there's a lot of crossover between grizzlies fans and tigers fans what was the environment like yesterday in person oh it was great it was one of those moments where you just you know you're people use the word chills but it really does like you stand up and you look around and and if if you live in memphis and you i don't know it, it it is an example of what sports can do and can wait can make you feel in that moment and it doesn't make the problems of the city go away or anything else like that but it's you just feel it's a sort of a thrill to be a part of it and it was one of those moments where you, i stood up and i just looked around and you just take it all in because it was just great it was electric and it's too bad that they didn't win obviously um but the other fun thing about it was that the stakes were pretty low like in the right. end Yes, it would have been great to beat the number one team in the country for the first time in the history of the program. That would have been wonderful. And and maybe they could have gotten up to a seven seed or whatever. But I think there's general agreement that they're in the tournament anyway. And so right. the downside of losing wasn't even that severe. And so you got all the thrill and and sense of, of uh, you know, just like the old days. Um, and yet you didn't have the sort of devastation that came with a loss that knocked you out of anything. Yeah, and an exciting game that went down to the buzzer. Looking big picture at the Tigers, I, I wonder what your thought is on, on – would you call the Penny Hardaway era so far a success? I, I'd call it a success. It's certainly not a success to the level that he wanted or people wanted. So, um, you know, again, it, it looks like they'll get in the tournament. So two tournaments in five years, that's okay. Trending the right direction the last two two years in a row now of the tournament – um, but if, if when, if when he, on the day he was hired, you would said five years from now, he would have one NCAA tournament win. You'd say that's disappointing. And Penny right. would say that's disappointing. Now, one of those years, there was no NCAA tournament. So you couldn't have a win that year. Uh, James Wiseman, you know, had this, his issues and then quit the team. Uh, we had a pandemic, like lots of things happened. Yeah. So it was a success. Yes but a qualified success and a success given it's been a success given the context of the, of what the last five years have been. Um, But no, it's, it it is weirdly enough. It is a success. I think he's the right man for the job. It has also been a disappointment if that, if that's an odd thing to say, but I think it's both true 
that he has been a success. He's now, I honestly think he's taken seriously as a college coach, which in a lot of quarters he wasn't. He was dismissed as sort of a AAU guy. Now he's taken seriously as a college coach. He's got earned his bona fides. Um, But it's also, you know, he hasn't, attendance is much is better than it was under Tubby, but because of the way the universe is going and the way the conference is going, Yesterday was the exception, not the rule, in terms of having 18,000 people in the building. So um, I think he's the right man for the job, but I also think that Penny would tell you that he he would have wished it been smoother, easier, and more successful so far. Yeah, and I think that's the right answer. It hasn't been perfect, but who who else could have done better? Or, you know, who what what recruits right. did they really miss out on? You know, he well, brings And in- occasionally people will say he should be, you know, if you were going to replace Penny, who do you want that you could yeah. get? Like, like... <laughs> I, it's an, it's that's why it's not even a conversation, you know. Yeah. It's not even a conversation. All right, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate no problem. it. Have Good a to great be rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk again in the future. Thanks. All right, thank you to Jeff Coggins. Appreciate him jumping on to the core for another great episode, another great week for you guys. Dave, plug your socials for us real quick. You can find me on Twitter at dob nineteen thirty three eight. Xavier, plug those socials for us. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Zaytime Takes. And then as well, you can find me on TikTok for a little bit more basketball analysis at underscore XZAY. And Xavier's just been absolutely crushing it with clips, by the way, dude. You've been doing an awesome job. So make sure you are checking all those out. Uh, incredibly fun to watch, especially your your recaps, your awards, all that stuff that you do. Check that out for Xavier as well. Uh, check us out at the Core 4 Podcast on Twitter. As I said, we are now with Bluff City Media. Check them out at Bluff City underscore media on Twitter. Check out all that written and insider content on there. We are super happy to be with Bluff City Media now. And you can follow me at Matt H. Gill on Twitter as well. Appreciate you guys tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Stolen by Marin. Hammer. Nail. Coffin. This baby is over.